Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. Christ does make a difference, doesn't he? Christ makes a difference. He makes a difference in our salvation. He makes a difference in our daily lives. And that's really what the message of Ephesians is about. It's about how Jesus Christ had come and how he had provided salvation. How he had provided salvation for those that he had brought into the family. How he had adopted them into the very family of God. Ephesians is all about how Christ made a difference in salvation, but also in practice. In the first three chapters, you see where it fleshes out this idea of salvation through grace, through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the last three chapters, you see how it speaks of us practicing our walk, practicing our faith. As a matter of fact, Paul will use that favorite word, right? What's the favorite word I told you last week? Never mind, go back to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go to verse 1 and verse 2 again this week. You're making me look bad. I got guests here from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I was a test. One of the, let me say this, the favorite verb that you find that Paul will use is the verb walk. Walk. He'll use it over and over and over again in this little book. And the idea of walk is the idea of live or the idea of, of adopt this type of lifestyle. Practice what you preach. In other words, the Lord Jesus has made a difference in your salvation. Thus, the Lord Jesus should make a difference in the way you walk each day. In the way you go about your business, Jesus should make a difference in who you are. That's what you see, and that's the reason I want you to, to be able to kind of comprehend today how Christ is our practice. He is not just our salvation. Oh, he is our salvation. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary, and because of the resurrection, you and I can have life through Jesus. You and I can be saved. But when he saves us, he saves us for a purpose. He saves us to walk differently. He saves us to serve him. And that's what Paul is getting at. As you look at chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 3. You will hear him talk about how the salvation of Jesus affects our walk, affects our daily living. Verse 3. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor of course jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. 
But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Again, Paul is speaking to the Ephesians and to the church in general. I think this little letter was written, and it was aimed to the church at Ephesus, but it was also to be read in many of the other churches in the area so that they could understand what Christ's salvation had meant to them and how it had impacted their daily lives. And Paul fleshes it out so well for those who are reading this. As he's getting prepared to talk to them about their their relationships and all, he speaks to them, first of all, about their walk in love and their walk in light. He says, if you're going to practice Christ, then you are to walk in true love and you are to walk in light. Now, in verse 2 that we read last week, he had given us that example. He had said that we are to walk in love. Now, in the New Testament, here in this, in this verse, actually, in verse 2 of chapter 5, it is... The agape love of God. It is the committed type of love. That is that Jesus showed us a selfless love. Oh, yes, he did. When Jesus left all of the prerogatives and the privileges of heaven itself, and he came to this earth, he demonstrated what selfless, sacrificial love really was. He did. And when he walked among his people, and when he talked with them, and even when he endured suffering and accusations, even as he got there upon that cross, each act was a measure of his love for you. That is the greatest example of love. Now, there are all types of examples of love. I always marvel, like in this church, I see people who, for example, have been married many, many years. People who have been married 70 plus years, I see some of them today. And that, that just, it, it amazes me. It amazes me, one, that God gave them the health that they needed so that they could uh, celebrate those anniversaries, but also that they were committed to one another. That's a great example of love. A great example. I mean, to be married to someone for 70 plus years, a great example of love. You, as a people... You encourage me daily. I, I, I see the love. In every lemon icebox pie you bring me, there is love. There is love that is there. There is a great example of love you can find all around this congregation and in the community. But there is no greater example of love than what Jesus Christ has done for you and what he's done for me. And Paul had said that in verse 2. He said, that is the greatest example. And that is what true love is. But then in verse 3, where we started today, he shows you that there are some people that don't understand the love of Jesus. There are some people that are following the example of the world as it relates to the concept of love. And again, notice what he says. He says, fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting. What he speaks about is, okay, you have an example of love in Jesus. He has given you that supreme example. But if you look around Ephesus, you look around the city, you will note all types of other expressions of love. You will see people that are having relationships that are impure and ungodly. And yet they think that's love. If you look around Ephesus, you will see people that are engaging 
in all types of relationships outside of the marriage relationship. He said, you, you can see that. He said, you, you'll be tempted by it. You'll, you'll think about, oh, yeah, that's, that's what love is. But Paul says, no, 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 no. It is the example of Christ. It is through Jesus that you find agape committed love. And that is the reason you are not to participate in those type of ungodly relationships that you see. Now, the word fornication. It, it is the word in the original language. It is pornea. You can, you can hear the root, porn, pornea. It really spoke to every sexual relationship outside of the marriage relationship. Every type of relationship that is not centered in the marriage relationship, every type of sexual relationship, it, it, it spoke about adultery. I believe it spoke about homosexuality. I believe it spoke about all type of sexual sins that you would find in Ephesus and that you would find today. It, Ephesus was a hypersexual culture. I mean, if you were to walk out, you would see all types of images that would remind you of sensuality. Even the great temple of Artemis or Diana that was located there in Ephesus, they would have cultic prostitutes that would be there. It was, it was a degrading place to think of what marriage was and what true love was. And yet, that was the culture. Oh, by the way, that culture wasn't too different from our culture today. A culture that still celebrates hypersexuality, sensuality. I mean, all you have to do is watch a commercial, right? I mean, sometimes I think to myself, how did they make that connection? I mean, a commercial that is, I mean, I'm going to get in trouble. I got to stop. We live in a hypersexual, hypersensual type of culture. And every day we are bombarded with the definition of love and happiness. But what Paul says is no matter what examples you find in the culture, understand there is one great example, and it is the example of Jesus Christ and what he did for you. That is love. And he says, if you've experienced that in salvation, then that means you need to walk in that type of love. He said, you don't take part in those relationships that are outside of marriage. He says, you don't, you don't practice impurity or covetousness in your life. Covetousness, this idea of greed. Again, I think it is connected with this idea of selfishness in our relationships. There are so many of us that demonstrate selfishness instead of selflessness. But Jesus gives us the example of love. We ourselves, before we were saved, the Bible says that we were walking around in these kind of desires and states. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 talks about how before Christ, we were walking around and we had all these things going on in our own lives. And yet, something changed. What happened? Those of us who were dead in our sins... Those of us who are spiritual zombies, we receive life through the grace of the Lord Jesus. And because we receive grace, because we have known the love of Christ, that means we are different in our relationships with one another. 
Notice he says, these things should not even be named among you. These things should be so foreign to the mind of the believer and the mind of the church that it's not even named among you. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't talk about sexuality and biblical sexuality. I think we should. I think for so many years in our churches, we have remained too silent in those areas. What he's saying, though, is we need to make sure that we are promoting what is biblical, what is holy, what is pure when it comes to sexual relationships. We need to make sure that we're speaking about the agape, selfless type of love that God wants us to experience in all of our relationships. He says, these things that I name, they're not fitting for saints. They're not proper for saints. Uh, later on, verse 4, he says, which are not fitting. Uh, actually, two different words, but both of those, again, just say, you know, if you're in Christ, these things aren't becoming for you. You don't, you don't wear those clothes anymore. You, you're, 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 you're different. You're different. Now, the season has changed. I know it doesn't feel like it outside. It's still 118 degrees. But, um, but the season has changed. I was taught after Labor Day, there were certain things you couldn't wear. Still aggravated about it. It really, really bugs me when Easter is so late, and I know Labor Day is going to come so early, and, and I'm going to only have a short season to wear my seersucker. <laughs> but if I were to come, if I were to have come this morning with a seersucker on, some of you wouldn't even hear my message. <laughs> I can't believe you wore it after Labor Day. Does mama not teach him? Leslie didn't tell him when he walked out. Oh, I know some of you. I know. Just some things are out of season right now. Even though, again, it seems like the temperatures are so... It's just, it's after, after labor. You know, sometimes you have to buy some new clothes, don't you? Every now and then. I mean, sometimes. Sometimes you have to buy new clothes because God has blessed you immensely. He's brought you so many lemon icebox pies in your life that you just need a little more room for blessing. So you have to go and you have to buy some new clothes. There's sometimes there's just certain things they don't fit anymore. You know, uh, some of the suits that I wore in college that I think I've shared with you, one of my college professors gave me some of my suits and I would wear them. I would wear them proudly. I don't wear them anymore for various reasons. They don't fit. They, they, they're not proper. They're not appropriate. And that's what Paul's trying to drive home here. He says, if you're a believer, if you are trusting the Lord Jesus for your salvation, then that means you need to trust him each day, and you need, you need to look like he does. You, you need to be becoming. There's some things that you are adopting, and you're trying to give in to. He says, those things, those things, they're not like you. That's not who you are anymore. You used to be that person. Oh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, he talks about how there was an old man that was there, and he would walk around in those clothes. But you are a new man. You are to be different. You are to be dressed in purity and holiness and righteousness. 
You couldn't have done it on your own, but guess what? The Lord Jesus, when he came into your life and he saved you, (laughs) he dressed you up in the finest. And you can live for him. And you should each and every day. Paul says Christ is our practice. There's some things that are unbecoming. He said certain sexual immorality, it's unbecoming of the believer. He says also filthiness, foolish talking or coarse jesting. Filthiness. The root of that word is disgraceful. The idea of saying something that is disgraceful. Saying things. It says here foolish talk. I I went back and again I love the original language here because the original language for foolish talking is morologio morologio logio logos means word right you've heard that word speech moro the word moron that's what it means he says he's like all of these people that are speaking like moronic words you ever run into a moron before I'm not being ugly, just asking. I was just asking. Foolish talk. Moronic words. He said, those, that's not you. You aren't there using that coarse jesting. Now, I believe the Lord is okay with humor. I believe he is. I don't know if you've read 2 Kings chapter 2 lately. 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha is going up. And the Bible says that these youth come and they see Elisha. The prophet, and they say, go up, old bald head. Go up, old bald head. And what does God do? The she-bears come out of the woods. Maybe that's not as funny to you as it is to me. (laughs) But I've been extra sensitive here lately about my hair. (laughs) No, seriously. Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, hey, before you try to remove the speck out of somebody else's eye, you need to remove the beam out of your own. Remember that? Now, I mean, think about this. If you really kind of, here's, here's, he says, you've got a beam, you've got a pole, and you're trying to get a speck out of, is that not somewhat humorous to think about? I mean, the image itself. Jesus is okay, I think, with humor. But he says, coarse, vulgarities. These coarse, just, listen, you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus, our speech ought to be different when we speak to one another. And there should be some things that never come out of our mouths. I'm so disappointed today because I see sometimes things coming out of the pulpit that I think, God, help us. Because there still seems or should be a sense of us speaking what is proper and what is appropriate and what is holy. I love what he says. He says, but rather giving of thanks. If you've got a moment where you're about to say something that is improper, God says, save that breath for something better. You only get so many breaths here on this earth. Save it for a Thanksgiving moment. If you're about to tell a joke that's not appropriate, say, you know what, instead of telling that joke, let me tell somebody about how thankful I am, how grateful I am. 
because Christ is our practice. He is our practice in our relationships. He is our practice in our speech. He changes us. He says in verse 5, for this you know. The idea is you can have confidence in this, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. The idea is that these actions do not line up with the kingdom of God. They're just totally, they're totally distant from the kingdom of God. You cannot begin to try to relate them together. Paul had said this to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is my favorite part of this. And such were some of you. Man, that must have been a tense moment in the church when that letter was read. You can hear the people almost amening. That's right, preacher. Those people, they... And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What Paul says is, you were all there at one point. You were all there. But you're different. You've been changed. You've been cleansed. You have been sanctified, set apart. You have been justified. You have been declared innocent by the royal decree because of the one who took your place. You are different. The kingdom of God does not line up with immorality. It never should. He says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. There are going to be people who come and they will tell you that these things are okay. There will be people who will try to convince you that, oh, it's okay. You know, you just live and do what you feel like you need to do. As one minister said just recently to an individual who was seeking counsel, he said, you just got to be who you got to be. You just go and do those things. The Bible says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Those of us who would lead people to stumble and to stay in their sin, I do believe that God's going to deal with us one day. You and I have an opportunity to talk about the grace and the love and the freedom that comes through the Lord Jesus. God loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you right where you are. I am so I'm so glad God didn't leave me where I was. But that he saved me for a purpose and a plan to walk in love, to live in love, and to live in the light. Verse 7, he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't you share the same kind of philosophies? Don't you go along with them? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Darkness, light. All of the literature of old you would find, there would be darkness contrasted with light. There would be the idea 
of darkness, representing maybe ignorance. Light, representing knowledge. Darkness, representing immorality. Light, representing morality and righteousness, that which is holy. Darkness, deception. Light, the truth. And here, Paul uses that age-old analogy to say, we live in the light. I like the light most of the time. It helps me see. I'm not one of these guys that like darkness. You can hear funny noises when it's dark. <laughs> Things that you thought weren't there. A couple of summers ago, Leslie and I were up in Calgary working with one of our church plants, Multiply Church. And uh, we had finished the soccer camp. We had finished our block party that Thursday evening. We drove up to a little place called Kenmore, Canada, on the outside of Banff National Park. And as we got there to Kenmore, we went in. We had found this at the last minute, and it seemed like we'd gotten a good deal. It was a, it was a beautiful little place. We were, we were very pleased. We walked in. It was two level, so there was like all this nice little living area downstairs and this bedroom area upstairs. And, of course, it was late, and we're like, we got to get in bed. we got to get up in the morning and get going. So we, we did. And, uh, again, we were just like, man, this is nice. This is awesome. And um, we knew something, though, was weird. When after we had had the bathroom lights on for a little while and we turned them off, they wouldn't come back on again just weird. I mean, they had been on. We turned them on, but when you turned them off, they wouldn't come back on. It's okay. That's cool. Well, no air conditioning, of course, because, you know, it's Canada. You don't really need that much air conditioning. You just open the windows. So, open the windows, and we lay down, and all of a sudden, about, I don't know, 30 minutes later or less or so, we realized we were right by the train track. I'm beginning to see why we got such a good deal on this place. <laughs> and, the, and the, you know, the train came out. That's okay. That's all right. Um, Leslie was used to that. She sleeps with me and my snoring, and that's like a train usually. So she was okay with that, and we we're fine. Then all of a sudden, we heard some people down, down on the street, because we're on the street on this side, and they're talking, and we can hear their conversations. And, man, they really needed this uh, Ephesians chapter 5 passage. And uh, so anyway, it was kind of okay, but we finally got to sleep, finally got to sleep. And um, then all of a sudden, about midnight less, she and I both woke up at the same time. I looked over and I said, did you hear that? <laughs> she said, yeah, I heard that. What do you think that is? I think somebody's coming up the steps right now. I said, that's what I think too. She said, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I ain't got anything, anything to defend myself with. Nothing, 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 nothing. I look at her and I said, come on, Les. I said, baby, it's going to take both of us to take this guy out, whoever it is. <laughs> we were so scared. We were walking. We, but guess what we do? We'd flip on the light. We'd try to look around because darkness, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell what was going on. You'd just hear the sounds. We'd flip on the light. We were going down. We were looking, flip on the light. You see anybody? No, I don't see them, but they're here. There's no doubt they're here. And we'd go down. We went into the first level. We looked around. Doors were still locked. We looked in the closets, lights. Man, we turned every light on. We came back up <laughs> and, and went into the kids' rooms again. They never woke up. They didn't know what was going on. 
turning on lights and looking around. I think we slept with the lights on the rest of the night. I'm going to tell you, that was the year. We thought, we thought that would be it. You had just lost your temple pastor. I mean, I was serious. We were so scared. We didn't know what had happened. But light made a difference because I could see that nobody was there. Up until then, I thought somebody's around. Somebody's got to be. I heard the sounds. But light, it, it, it exposes where we are and what's going on. And, and light always has. When you turn the light on, you're able to see where you are. This is what the scripture teaches us that God, through the Lord Jesus, shined a light into our lives. We were able to see where we were. Man, I'll be honest, when he turned the light on in my life, I realized, man, I had really messed up. I had sinned. I needed him. But this is what's awesome. The light shows you where you are, but the light also shows you the way out. The light helps you to get out. Today, if the lights were to go off, and we're not turning the lights off, there are too many logistical liability insurance issues there. But if we were to turn them off, and there would be some light coming through a little bit here or there, maybe the emergency, you would, you would, but you'd want to be able to find a way out. The light shows you the way out. These here, they understood how that light had helped them. I love this verse 8. It says again, for you were, past tense, you were once darkness, but now you are, present tense, you are light. Dark deeds and darkness, they are no longer characteristic of who I am or they shouldn't be. I live in the light of the Lord Jesus. And we are to demonstrate that light to others. We're to expose others to that light. Not in, a, not in an obnoxious way, but we are to do it in the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus. We are to expose that which is wrong so that individuals can see the way out. There are too many living in darkness today. And there are too many who refuse to show them the way. The light that will bring us into true fellowship. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. The word fellowship there at the root is koinonia, which is like usually you would find as you talk about the koinonia fellowship of the church. He says, you don't go in and have that same type of fellowship with these areas of darkness. He said, because you are different. If someone has said, if the church marries the spirit of the age, she will soon become a widow. You and I, we must be careful of marrying the spirit of the age. Instead, we should show the light of the Lord Jesus. I, I want to go back for a moment to John chapter 8, a verse that is often used, I think, out of context, certainly it doesn't sometimes represent, the way we use it, it doesn't represent both the love and the light of Christ. John chapter 8, in the first few verses, it gives us, it gives us a beautiful picture of grace and mercy. This is the woman who is called in adultery. She is about to be stoned 
She's about to be killed. Jesus steps in. And remember the verse that so often is quoted or spoken about. The verse where Jesus looks and says, that one which is without sin cast the first stone. And it says there's a personal conviction that falls upon each one and that they leave and she is spared. I love that. Because you and I all stood in that place where we deserve death. The Bible says the wages of sin, death. All of us stood there. But the Lord Jesus delivered us. He freed us. And then listen to what Jesus says. Chapter 8, verse 10, he says, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn. You don't, you're not condemned any longer. But then listen, this is the part people leave out. He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. In verse 12, I'd never connected this together. I read this so many different times. I'd never connected it together until this week. Verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light, of life itself. Listen to what he says. He says, I just saved you so that you can live differently. I just saved you so that you could go and you could live in a more holy, pure type of manner. I just saved you. Because why? Because I'm the light. You're not in the darkness anymore. You're, you're in the light. And see, this is for all of us who are here. Those of us who are saved. We walk in the love. We walk in the love of the Lord Jesus, but we also walk in the light of the Lord Jesus. Love and light, they go together. He comes to us to free us so that we can walk differently. Because Christ is our practice. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I think it's a quote from Isaiah 61. Passages which talk, I think, ultimately about the Messiah, the servant of God, Jesus himself. Isaiah 61 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. He has given us the light for us to live in the light. Christ is our practice. Will we love like he does, and will we light our world as he has? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you. We thank you for the mercy and the grace and the love that you've demonstrated to us. In a moment, those of us who are believers, we're going to take of your supper. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us, that you would remind us of that sacrifice once again, the agape love. 
God, for those who have not come to full faith in you, who have not trusted you and given their life to you, I pray that you'd speak to this message today so that they would know you. But God, for those of us in this place that do know you, that call ourselves Christians, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to walk in you each day. Lord, inform our love, inform our being the light. And God, before we take this Lord's Supper, may we examine our hearts and lives of where we are right now with you. Things that we need to repent of, confess, Lord, may we do that so that, Lord, we can have true fellowship with who you are. Use this moment of invitation. We pray it in Jesus' name.